I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, July 2nd, 2012. I should warn you all that I'm only going to be in studio for a couple of days this week and then um, taking about a week and a half off to... uh, get some rest and relaxation with my family for our little bit of summer vacation. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the tough work of opening up the Scriptures and testing to see if what people are saying is true. Are they rightly handling God's Word? Are they proclaiming Christ and Him crucified for our sins? Are they, or, you know, part of the put it this way, are they twisting God's Word? teaching things they ought not to teach, taking advantage of people, um, and scratching itching ears and lining their pockets by fleecing people. See, that's the other option. That is one of the valid options. So we do the comparative work, and all of this is to help you become grounded in what God's Word really teaches so that you can share the gospel with your friends, family, neighbor, relatives, and help protect yourself and your loved ones from false teachers, false prophets, false Christ, false messiahs, and generally uh, people who are disguising themselves as angels of light or disguising themselves as sheep when, in fact, they are nothing more than wolves. And so if you listen to this program for any given amount of time, you become very skilled at hearing um, you know what wolves are teaching and identifying it as false teaching so that you can protect yourself, protect your family, protect your loved ones, and properly bring people to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You counter it with the biblical gospel. So part of it is learning how people twist and mangle God's word, the prominent people who are doing it so that you can warn your friends and family, 
and learn how, learn how to be skilled in properly understanding, properly teaching, properly proclaiming the biblical gospel. Because you know, the important thing is this, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And so given the opportunity to preach Christ and him crucified, you may actually have the honor of seeing and witnessing somebody being brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ. That's a miracle, the miracle of those being brought back to life, regeneration. Every time somebody is a Christian, every time somebody goes from being dead in trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ, it is a miracle wrought by God the Holy Spirit, and he uses us. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. God is making his appeal through us. So listen to this program it's a little rough and tumble. It's an acquired taste. This is not a uh, program for the faint of heart or those who somehow buy into political correctness. We're not politically correct here. And uh, part of what I don't know, let me talk about this. Part of what you need to understand is that those who are uh, who suffer from pompacity, I don't even know if that's a real word, but um, you know, the, the, those people who are false prophets and, uh, and vision casters and stuff like that, their egos are so large um, that part of the apologetic task is to teach people to not take them seriously. And so that's one of the reasons why we use humor on this program, because it basically is saying to these false prophets, yeah, right. You think you're so important. You think you're really a man of God. You really think that you've had a vision from God. I don't think so. And so the idea here is is that the worst thing that you can do with somebody who is absorbed with themselves, absorbed with the so-called vision they seem to be thinking they're getting from God, the worst thing you can do is um, show them the respect of a man of God or the prophet of God. Instead, you need to basically say, listen. You think you're so important? You're not. You're just like all of us. And worse, actually, because you're self-deceived. You see that? Anyway, so if you want to know why we use humor here at Fighting for the Faith, that's one of the reasons why is because it's our way of saying and helping you understand that um, false prophets, we will not respect them as prophets. Will not. Furthermore, we're not afraid of them. We're not afraid of them at all. They're not men of God. God is not going to punish us for not believing the messages that they're bringing and their prophecies and their visions and stuff like that. No. So you understand this. Satan doesn't have a sense of humor at all. And so humor is a gift given by God. And I think humor can be a powerful tool, a powerful weapon at times. And we engage in what's called reductio ad absurdum, taking things to their logical conclusion as a means of demonstrating that a particular teaching or idea is a false teaching and a false idea. So that explains, by way of just a little tiny bit of an explanation, as to why we engage humor here at Fighting for the Faith in what we do. It's an apologetic and logical form of argumentation. And, you know, it, it at times can be humorous and a little bit biting. We understand that. But uh, when it comes to truth and error, what's at stake are men's souls, especially when it comes to truth and error and false doctrine in the Christian church. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We've got plenty of ground to cover today. And, in fact, I've got, you know, I'm looking at, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get everything. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. So uh, he here's what we're going to do. Uh, shortly here, in just a minute, we're going to be premiering 
um, my first solo single. Um, <laughs> I, I've decided to embark on a sing singing career. Um, I was inspired by Weird Al Yankovic. You remember the early... I, those, see, again, um, yeah, <laughs> got to tell you, I am a big fan of Weird Al's. Anyway... Um, Weird Al, if you know his early, 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 early stuff, he did a, a satirical um, rendition of Queen's song, Another One Bites the Dust. His version was called Another One Rides the Bus. And, um, I mean, I, I think that was on the Dr. Demento program when I was a kid. I remember hearing it on Dr. Demento. And those of you who do not know who Dr. Demento is... I, I can't even explain it now. I don't even have time. That was a crazy program, pr crazy radio program that uh, I just loved listening to when I was a kid. But uh, anyway, so that kind of takes us back. So weird, I was channeling my inner, inner weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> that just sounds wrong. Anyway, so uh, what, we, <laughs> what I've done is I've recorded <clears throat> a, a solo, my own attempt at a satirical song. And uh, it's in honor of Mark Driscoll's vision casting doctrine and his uh, statement that he made regarding uh, basically running people over with the Mars Hill bus. The name of the song, by the way, is Another One's Off the Bus. And yeah, I'd, I'm the one who sang it. So I was trying to go for a combination of James Brown and Weird Al Yankovic. That's all I can say. You're just going to have to hang on for a second. We're going to be premiering it here in a minute. <clears throat> so get ready. That's all I got to say about that. And by the way, we will be making this uh, song available for download on the podcast feed and also at the uh, Fighting for the Faith website. So uh, there'll be multiple ways for you to get it as a single if you want to download it and pass it along to people. That's perfectly fine. And <clears throat> in fact, my, my throat's just a little bit um, hoarse uh, from... Uh, channeling my inner james brown <laughs> just yeah anyway um so uh we got so we're gonna do that here in a minute um sad news coming out of springfield missouri actually very very tragic news um in two weeks now we've had two major leaders <clears throat> in the um in the mega church movement uh, one in singapore and now one in springfield missouri who have um uh fallen morally fallen um the news came over the weekend of uh, tommy sparger uh, has tendered his resignation at North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri. We're going to give you details about that. Um, I got a story here. Perry Noble is apparently threatening to take South Carolina. I, <laughs> I've, yeah, yeah, you're just going to have to bear with me. I'll explain. And he, he needs basically he's trying to sell war bonds so that he can take South Carolina. At least that's my take on it. We'll be uh, looking at that today. And then <clears throat> second uh, second half of this hour, we're going to be taking a look at uh, Stephen Furtick, he uh, he preached a sermon a while ago about you know how to have audacious faith, and uh, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, then you know that the major critique that I have of Stephen Furtick is that he engages in what we call narsa Jesus. Now I know you're not, if some of you are not familiar with that term, you don't know what that means. It's it's basically a word that uh, we coined here. It was a listener here at Fighting for the Faith who coined the the, the actual word itself. And uh, because I was describing a problem that Stephen Furtick has with the when he preaches the biblical text, and that is he engages in narcissism. Narcissism is self-love, and so he engages in what's called narcissistic eisegesis. Eisegesis actually is a technical term used in theological circles, for, and it describes those who read things into the biblical passages that are not there. 
no pastor, no pastor is supposed to be engaging in eisegesis. Eisegesis is where he reads things into the biblical text that can't be supported grammatically, historically. I mean, there's all kinds of things that just, you know, and so he's come up with a new way of understanding this text. And how did he arrive at that? By reading things into the text that are not there. Well, if you're familiar with the Bible, then you know that in the Old Testament, there are some very clear passages that are types and shadows of the biblical gospel itself. And one of the clearest of those passages is uh, Genesis chapter 22, and that's where God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And I kid you not, uh, it's absolutely breathtaking. I was... uh, reviewing this uh, sermon by Stephen Furtick. Somebody had sent me a a, a link saying, you, you know, if, you, if you haven't touched on this, you really need to pay attention to this sermon. So I went and checked it out. It's I think it's you know a, a couple years old, to be honest with you, but I'm surprised that I missed it. But anyway, he takes the Genesis 22 passage, no joke. He rightfully and rightly points out that that is a type and shadow of the gospel, and then immediately starts preaching about himself. It's absolutely breathtaking in like the worst evil way possible that you can imagine. And so we're going to be taking a look at uh, Stephen Furtick's reading himself into uh, and totally biffing uh, what God has revealed in Genesis chapter 22. And then since it's um, the Hillsong Conference is uh, now raging out there in Australia. I feel sorry for you folks in Australia. It's the Summer Olympics, uh, Summer Heresy Olympics out there in in Sydney. And uh, Hillsong has got their big annual conference. And, you know, they got Joyce Meyer, Stephen Furtick, and and others, including Brian Houston. So what we're going to do for hour number two today, we're going to be reviewing a sermon by Brian Houston entitled Lack versus Overflow. And and Louis uh, Louis Giglio is uh, one of the uh, also featured speaker. He, I mean I mean that guy has drifted badly to say the least. So uh, we got lots of ground that we're going to cover today. Make yourself comfortable. Um if the weather permits in your neck of the woods fuzzy bunny slippers, they do enhance your listener experience. And of course, if you'd like to enjoy an adult beverage, we do not have a problem with that at all. Understand this, that that's a gift from God and that there are some, um, well, fences around that gift. And that is, is that you don't want to be addicted to it or engage in drunkenness or anything like that. So you enjoy, you don't want to become enslaved to the good gifts that God has given us. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And let me just say, um, I don't have any fanfare for this. What we're going to be doing right now is this is the, this is the world premiere of my first Single. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, okay, so now I can, okay, let me see, I'm a, an apologist, theologian, and a radio talk show host, I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher in church, and now I have my own single. And so without any further ado, I would like to, like you to listen to and enjoy my first single entitled, Another One's Off the Bus. Here we go. Street. Don't hear God's word no more. The pastor says we don't feed no sheep, so get busy and amuse those goats. Don't be lazy, you're here to satisfy the leader's God-given vision supreme. If you 
So there you go, my very first single. <laughs> yeah, um, don't worry, I won't quit my day job. I um, <laughs> uh, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. So yeah, no worries. There's no chance of me going on tour anytime soon. Your city is safe. So I just want to let you all know. But I will be making that available as a single download so that you can you know download it off of fightingforthefaith.com or uh, off of the podcast feed either way. So that you can have it and share it with your friends if you would like to do that. There you go. And I'll even post the lyrics over at fightingforthefaith.com if you want to read those too. So, yeah. Uh, just another way in which we uh, serve you, the Fighting for the Faith listener. Hi, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, oh man, moving along. And this is going to kind of be, seem like we're going to steer hard here. We got to change gears. And unfortunately, this next story is, it's not funny. It's, it's uh, actually very tragic. So let's do this. 
Okay, from the OzarksFirst.com website, this is a news website, headline reads, North Point Pastor Resigns, Cites Moral Failure. Okay, so let me kind of fill you in a little bit on this. Over the weekend, on in fact, on Saturday morning when I was in studio putting together the podcast for uh, Fighting for the Faith, um, I was on the Museum of Idolatry, and I noticed that my late, my two most recent Tommy Sparger exhibits, the videos had disappeared. In fact, I was getting an error that said this video it does not exist. I'm thinking, huh? Um, Tommy's uh, not one to take videos down because people are offended by them. So I'm thinking, well, that's kind of weird. Uh, it, in fact, if you remember, hang on a second, let me pull up the Museum of Idolatry real quick. Um, a little. 11.com, and no, I'm not changing the name to a lot 11. I, I get that one a lot, by the way. I get a lot of emails from people saying, are you sure that you should be calling this a little 11.com? It sure does seem like a lot 11 to me. <laughs> yeah, I've, <laughs> I have seen that uh, particular email uh, suggestion far more times than I care to admit, but I mean, I get that one often, so it's not clever. If you want to email me that complaint and say, I need to change the uh, the, the website address for a little11.com to a lot11, yeah, it's it's not happening, <laughs> but thank you. Anyway, um, over the weekend, so the, Tommy, the latest Tommy Sparger exhibit, by the way, I threatened to talk about this and then didn't get to it. If you remember... It was this song that um, that they did for Father's Day. Hang on, let me play for you just a little bit of it. Hang on. Father's Day, Father's Day, Father's Day. Oh yeah, he sucks at golf and doesn't give a Father's Day. Oh yeah, celebrate your dad today. Now, okay, so anyway, so. I, after I posted this in the museum and after I played that little segment where we played the song here at Fighting for the Faith, I received emails from several people basically saying, do you know where that song originates from? No. And then they would, they sent me a link. Okay. So, man. Um, so anyway, I did not know this, but uh, just so you know, the, the song itself... Uh, comes from yeah, I'm not going to play it. it. It comes from Team America. I'm not sure what Team America is. Um, may, it looks like something from like Cartoon Network or something like that. Anyway, or the the Comedy Channel. T Team America. They apparently put out a song. I don't know if it was part of their motion picture or whatever. But the name of the song is America. F yeah. Fill in the blank. It's uh, it's the f bomb. America F yeah. So. That's where that tune came from, and it's like, whoa, 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 what's going on with Tommy Sparger? I mean, he's <clears throat> it's like that's kind of in your face. Now, if you remember the story there, he's the one who sent me the tweet expressing disappointment that I hadn't put that in the Museum of Idolatry. Okay, all of this is to come back to the point that, um, anyway, we've been covering. Tommy Sparger for a while over the weekend that video was gone it's not like Tommy Sparger ever has pulled anything that was offensive to people in the church uh he keeps them up you know to you know continue to you know kind of poke people you know church people in the eye well it turns out that uh he has resigned and the only details we have is that it was a moral failure here's the news story from ozarksfirst.com
The pastor of North Point Church resigns. Tommy Sparger resigned Friday, June 29th. The church posted this notification on its website. Quote, it's with deep sadness and regret that we announce Tommy Sparger is no longer the lead pastor of North Point Church. This past Friday, June 29th, he confessed to a moral failure to the Board of Trustees of North Point Church, and with this announcement, he tendered his resignation. The board is setting in place a plan for the congregation, both short and long term, that will be communicated in the next few days. Our prayers are with Tommy and Rachel and their family during this very difficult time. North Point Church holds contemporary services and says more than 4,000 people come through their doors each weekend. Yeah, all right. So there you go. Uh, so Tommy Sparger has tendered his resignation, and the reason being is, is that he had a moral failure, okay? And they've asked for prayer for his family. Now, he, here's the deal, okay? What I find interesting about this story, and I'm going to just make a couple of comments. The The first is this, is that Tommy Sparger, if you have been watching him and paying attention to his preaching and teaching, he has committed doctrinal um, adultery. He started committing doctrinal adultery a long time ago, okay? Teaching false doctrine. I mean, I mean seriously, I mean, from about, I mean, it's like he's been drifting for a long time. And last year, when he did his whole Hell series, I mean, he. Basically, you know, taught Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, the content of that as if that's biblical teaching. And so, I mean, Tommy Sparger for a long time has been attacking, demeaning, and just an eyesore within, uh, within the visible church. His teaching and, and biblical twisting, um, is just, I mean, it's legendary. Listen to the archives here at Fighting for the Faith. I've reviewed many of Tommy Sparger's um sermons and what i've noticed is is that um he has been on a nihilistic bent um really since uh, the sermon series he did on hell i mean it's like each week he you know the the things that he's been doing the the songs that they've been singing and the things they've been doing in that church i mean it's it's practically designed to basically i, I apologize for the metaphor but give the middle finger to the church okay we're you know we're gonna just do our own thing, teach our own thing, and and he's been very nihilistic. And so, what's saddening is is that the uh, the board of directors uh, for their church completely supported him when he was basically committing doctrinal and theological adultery, and now, okay, now he's confessed to a moral failing moral failing. And they've taken him, and I'm literally, I don't know how else to describe this, erased Tommy Sparger off of the internet. I've never seen a more complete scrubbing of somebody in my life. I, it's it's absolutely mind-boggling. When you go on the North Point uh, website, uh, the Tommy Sparger's blog is gone. His Facebook is gone. His Twitter is gone. Every single one of his sermons, gone. Now I'm not complaining about that, by the way. Um, I mean, if if there is a silver lining in uh, Tommy Sparger's moral failing, it's this: that he no longer gets to deceive people with his false doctrine and his Bible twisting. And his, I mean, he's kind of like a seeker-driven emergent type. You know, he's he's more uh, uh, theologically akin to Brian McLaren and, and Rob Bell than he is to. Uh, say John Piper, you, you understand what I'm saying? 
So, I mean, I, I'm happy that every one of his sermons are gone. I trust me that I'm very thrilled about that. But there's another thing. He, there's another thing that I'm uh, very concerned about, and that's this: Tommy Sparger right now. You know, he needs to hear the gospel he's been rejecting. He needs to hear the gospel. In fact, he needs it now more than ever. The very gospel he hasn't been preaching is the very gospel he needs to hear right now. And I'm not confident that he's going to hear it. Tommy Sparger needs to hear that Jesus Christ bled and died for his moral failing, whatever it is, that Jesus Christ bled and died, and he needs to repent and receive and believe in Christ's forgiveness of sins. That's what he needs to hear. But that's the very gospel he hasn't been preaching. That's the very gospel he has actually been, not tacitly, but openly rejecting. And that's the very gospel that he needs to hear right now. And I'm fairly confident that he's not going to hear it. And my concern is, is that even if he did hear it, would he hear it? So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things, there's a lot of dynamics to this. And so what I would ask you, the listener to Fighting for the Faith, to do is pray for Tommy Sparger and pray for his family. But here's a very specific petition that I would like you to ask our Lord for in this, that Tommy Sparger would hear the forgiveness of his sins. Hear the biblical gospel of Christ crucified for his sins and raised again on the third day for his justification. Let's pray that the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, would use this tragic situation to bring him to repentance and to bring him to repentance of his false doctrine, his false teaching, the false gospel he's holding on to, all of the damage that he's done in the body of Christ, and that he would then be brought to faith and trust in the biblical gospel, the one that truly does save. And pray that he would hear that his relationship with God has been reconciled because of Christ, and that through that reconciliation that he has with God, that somehow that would then work its way out to reconciliation with his wife, his children, the people in the church, I mean, that he's he's hurt. And, you know, pray for him. Pray for him. This is a serious and dire situation. And my concern also is, is that, you know, when there's these types of moral failings in church, I mean, usually there's collateral damage within the congregation itself. Um, you know, so pray for the folks at North Point. And this is going to be an interesting story to watch and see what happens because I think this is one of the first, in fact, I can't even think of another where this has happened. This is the first multi-site seeker-driven church that I have seen where they're going to have to install and put in place a new vision casting leader. Um, boy, I I don't have any confidence that whoever's going to replace him is going to be better. It's probably going to be a worse situation. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on it and see what's going on. But uh, again, pray for Tommy Sparger. Pray that the gospel he has been rejecting is the one that's preached to him and pray that he's brought to repentance 
and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. All right, moving along. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what, what I, I do, as long as, as I, I do it with a flare. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus-pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flare. All right, we're going to cut it off right there. That's our um, intro music for when we are talking about Perry Noble from New Spring Church. Now, Perry is still on his sabbatical. I think he'll he'll be back in like three or four weeks at this point. Um, but that has not stopped the folks at uh, New Spring in Anderson, South Carolina, basically putting up a brand new video. And you can find this at uh, on Vimeo. Uh, at uh, at the, their, the Vimeo account is New Spring Media. New Spring is one word in the media. And, wow, um, the name of it is Take the Land 2012. Now, it's mostly sappy music with words, but then one little uh, in, interesting sound bite or video bite of uh, Perry Noble. And so what we're going to do is we're going to play the video, and I'm pretty sure that this is um, Perry Noble declaring war on the state of South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen in. Uh, don't, don't worry. I, I'll, I'll be reading over the sappy music, but here's the the video uh, for you too. <clears throat> sappy music. So it reads: New Spring Church started in a living room with a handful of people. Mm-hmm. Now we gather together in seven campuses across South Carolina. In other words, <clears throat> Perry Nobles. Um kind and loving and and temperate um and you know bible teaching is being you know basically multi-sided across seven campuses in south carolina <laughs> through the years we have seen 9000 baptisms 16000 attending weekly and thousands of salvations but there's more to do. 85% of our state does not attend church. I thought they were in the Bible Belt. Anyway, we want to change. We want to take the land. No kidding. And so they have a, a map of South Carolina, and they're apparently they want to take South Carolina. They're going to take the land. I'm asking everyone in this church, I want you to listen to me, to, to do the best you can to make the largest financial contribution to a church you've ever made in your life. So, you know what, for some of you, that might be 20 bucks. Amen and praise God. But for some of you, that could be 10 million. So, <clears throat> Perry Noble wants somebody to write a check for $10 million to uh, support his... Um, war against the people of South Carolina, uh, to, and they're going to take the land. This is not good. I mean, Perry Noble is a supreme Bible twister. Perry Noble is one of these narcissistic eisegetes. He's one of the guys I refer to as one of the popes, uh, the purpose-driven popes of the of the Carolinas. That would be uh, Perry Noble and Stephen Furtick. This is the guy who, at the Code Orange revival, basically 
took a text about Jesus and made it about Stephen Furtick. Um, he has about as uh, let's put it this way: if he were a doctor, okay, if Perry Noble was a doctor, his bedside manner would pretty much be that of a vampire. Um, pretty much that of uh, well, the um, the Incredible Hulk having a temper tantrum. Uh, this is a man who wants basically his you know folks. Listen, if they get the ten million dollars and they end up you know taking the land of South Carolina. Um, yeah, um, he'll turn South Carolina into, uh, uh, the easiest place on the planet to go to hell from because Perry Noble doesn't preach the biblical gospel. Perry Noble is a supreme narcissistic eisegete. Perry Noble is a dangerous vision cast who thinks that he's had a vision from God. And the trail of bodies behind the new spring bus is rivaled only by Mark Driscoll's trail of bodies. Mark me on that one. So, anyway, so uh, you know, again, I just want to, you know, we're we're reporting the news here that Perry Noble apparently has declared war on the people of South Carolina, and I hope the people of South Carolina are able to, you know, activate whatever religious militia they can to protect the people of South Carolina and to get them the biblical gospel, the biblical Jesus, through pastors who will care for them rather than pastors who will throw them under the bus for challenging his vision. Ay, 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 ay. Anyway, all right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We got a Stephen Furtick update here. You're not going to want to miss. Hang on. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. New from Los Lobos Ministry Records. An album that's just oozing with the love of Christ. It's Pastor Perry Noble's new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus. The songs on this album will melt your face off in a sanctified way. This album includes the number one purpose-driven praise techno dance song of all time entitled, well, you might just want to hear it for yourself. 
Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. You know what I tell people to say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You know what I tell people to say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. Don't you feel closer to Jesus after hearing that sample? Well, we've got another one for you, too. This one's entitled, You Officially Suck. I think that you officially suck as a human being. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Listen, I'm playing games, we all I think that you officially suck as a human being. I'm not playing games. I think that you officially suck as a human being. Other tracks include Your Grandma Smokes Weed and I Don't Like Hanging Out With People That Make Me Uncomfortable. Act Now and Lewis Lobos Ministry will even throw in a free bonus track by Stephen Furtick entitled Cause They're Stupid. Here's a sample. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. A lot of people don't like rock and roll in church. Cause they're stupid, cause they're stupid. So act now and get Pastor Perry Noble's brand new techno praise album entitled More Like Jesus. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. We're back. Uh, warning, seeker-driven vision casters will throw you under the bus because they have the pastoral skills of Attila the Hun. 
Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And along the way, there are perks. Right now, the current perk is that we will send you the link to download the Max Holiday's, uh, you know, the, the latest Max Holiday album. So if you would uh, like to join our crew, visit Fighting for the Faith, click on the Join Our Crew button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And just so you know, leg two of our uh, summer bake sale to help us get to the lean, mean summer months will be announced tomorrow but will not be in effect until when I get back from my vacation. So just stay tuned. You'll get details tomorrow. So let's move along. I got a Stephen Furtick um, update that I need to get to. Here we go. Stephen Furtick, update music. I realize that uh, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is like a musical. Anyway, that's uh, Cindy Stokes' rendition of that. And if you'd like to uh, send me your rendition for play here at Fighting for the Faith, uh, you just go to uh, Letter of Mark, my blog, letterofmark.us, and look for the... uh, yeah, you can do a search there for our You're So Vain Pirate Christian Karaoke. Record it, send it to me, and uh, we might play it here on the air here at Fighting for the Faith. All right, so let me set this up for you, okay? And in order to set it up for you, I need you to open your Bibles. We're going to actually start with a biblical text first, and then we're going to get to 
uh, Stephen Furtick. Uh, Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to be. Genesis chapter 22. Now keep in mind, the biblical text tells us exactly how it is that Abram was declared righteous before God. That's not found in Genesis 22. That's actually found in Genesis chapter 15, and it's verse 6. It says, And Abram believed God, and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. And Abram was saved the same way you and I are saved. And the idea is is that he believed God. regarding the promises of God specifically for the Savior, the one who would, the whole world would be blessed through the seed of Abraham, right? And so Abram trusted in the coming Messiah. We trust in the Messiah who's already come. And so when we read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. And there are passages that are just ridiculously teeming with the biblical gospel, the New Testament version as you and I know it. And it's, I mean, oh, if you miss Jesus in it, you've missed the whole point. Genesis 22 is one of those chapters. Genesis chapter 22, here's what it reads. Okay, now after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Notice, cut wood on the third day. You should all be paying attention going, ooh, wow. You can see where the anchor points are to the biblical gospel in this text. They're not hidden. They're in plain sight. So on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. So there we've got Abraham's only son carrying the wood on which he's going to be sacrificed up Mount Moriah, right? (laughs) If you have to be well you have to be biblically or actually spiritually dead to not see the connection here okay it's right there okay the, i mean jesus carried his own cross beam and by the way where was jesus crucified on this mountain do you know that the temple itself the temple that's in jerusalem it was built on this mountain right okay this, I mean, this, this is where modern-day Jerusalem is today. Jesus was crucified on the slopes of this mountain. When you, when you understand that historical connection, boy, all the big pieces start to come into place really quickly. Okay, so Abraham said to his young man, stay here, I read this. So um, verse 7, Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Now, you know, notice that the word God will provide, what is he going to provide? The lamb for the burnt offering. This is a sin offering, okay? 
So when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Okay? You're thinking, man, this sounds a lot like the crucifixion. You're getting it. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Okay, I'm just going to stop right there. What? Is God going to provide on the mount of the Lord? Answer, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? On the mount of the Lord it will be provided. What? The salvation of all mankind. Because on this mountain, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, was laid on the wood his arms outstretched, and nails driven into his hands and into his feet after being beaten, scourged, spat on, and a crown of thorns pressed into his head. On the mount of the Lord, it was provided. God provided the sacrifice for our sins, your sins and mine. On the mount of the Lord, God did provide. Yahweh provided for us a Savior, a Redeemer, and the sacrifice that propitiates the wrath of God for our sins. Okay, So when we talk about what it is that's provided there, it's not monetary provision, it's not food, it's not drink, it's not shelter, it's not a job, it's not clothing, and it's not an education that's being provided. What's being provided is bigger than that. What's being provided is the Lamb of God, who was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. That's what's going on here. So the story in Genesis 22 is a take basically a direct beeline to Jesus in the cross. Okay, And the language that was given to Moses by God. I mean... This was revealed to him. This couldn't have been more clear. And now we looking back going, yeah, if you don't if you don't preach Jesus from this text, you've missed the whole point. Okay. And well, sadly, that's what Stephen Furtick does. During his uh, well, Sun Stands Still sermon series, he's done a few of these. Um, the sermon entitled Audacious Faith in the God Who Provides, Stephen Furtick reads this text. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to play him reading the text. We're going to pick up with him reading the tail end of the text and watch what he does here. And by the way, this is exactly what makes Stephen Furtick such a dangerous man. The reason why is because he refuses to preach Christ 
and he preaches himself. He engages in narcissistic eisegesis, otherwise known as narcissism, and this is one of the prime examples of it, a text that's clearly pointing us to the cross and to Jesus Christ. He won't preach Jesus. He preaches himself. Watch what happens. Here we go. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. Who else are you going to swear by when you're God? <laughs> that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring. All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Generations later, Joshua would lead the people into the land where the sun would stand still. And it all got started because of one man's faith in the God who will provide. Yeah, provide what, though? I want to read one more time before I pray. Verse 8 and verse 14. In verse 8, before they got to the mountain where Abraham set up, to give up the thing that he loved the most for the God that he loved even more. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. And then I want to look at verse 14. After God did provide the ram, the Bible says, So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You know what? It's one thing to have faith in the God who provides on the mountain, but real faith must be demonstrated in the valley. Um, what are you talking about? So now he's allegorizing the mountain and the valley. That's like missing the whole point of the text. Now watch what he does. Of sacrifice. Father, we thank you for your word today. In these coming moments, take this scripture and teach us about how we are to trust you in the valley in order that you might provide for us on the mountain. What? For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody at all of our locations said, Amen. Amen. This is like hermeneutical gymnastics at this point, doing everything he can to contort himself in such a way as to not preach Jesus from this text. Well, like I told you, there's no way that I'll be able to do this text justice. Clearly. So many things I'd love to say about it, and, and we don't have time today. Just know that. Okay, just so you know, he says, so many things I'd love to talk about this text, but we don't have time today. For just for a little bit of you know um, perspective, this is minute twenty-one into the sermon, and the sermon itself is fifty-six 
minutes long. So he obviously takes time to talk about something, but listen to what he's not going to have time to talk about. As much as this disturbs you, it disturbs me even more. I've been studying it. I do think it's a type and shadow of the gospel. And Yeah, but we don't have time to talk about that. I do think that we should note that God never intended for Isaac to die. And the Bible actually says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, that even if Isaac had died, Abraham had the faith that God could raise the dead. So with that in mind, I, I want to talk with you for just a few moments today on the subject of audacious faith. And talk about myself. And the God who provides about different places in my life where God has provided for me. Um, I mean, so now he's going to preach his life. He knows, he just recognized, this is a type and shadow that points directly to the gospel, but he, has, he doesn't have time to talk about that. So he wants to talk about himself. No secret about telling you that the Lord has really blessed my family. Um, I have a wife who is better looking than you or any other person you know. <laughs> I'm so proud to show her off. She supports me. We have a loving marriage, a blessed marriage, not a perfect marriage, and uh, she's working on that. Now, remember, he doesn't have time to preach the gospel from this text. He's, no, he's got, he's got far more important things to do than talk about Jesus. Part. <laughs> and I don't mind telling you, no matter how it sounds to you, and again, a few of you will take this out of context, but giving all the honor and glory to God... I, I'm a blessed man. We're a blessed family. And not just when it comes to love and healthy baby boys and all of that. God has been good to us on other levels. When I took this book manuscript to a publisher, I had no idea what I was doing. And we hired an agent who my friend hooked me up with. And when they told me that not only would they publish the book, but they wanted to give me a sum of money to write it that was bigger than any amount of money I'd ever seen in my life. I, I just want to tell you, God's been good to me. I mean, I cashed some checks last year that I never thought I'd cash. So apparently the provision, you know, God's going to provide, the provision is financial. Growing up in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, with a dad who dropped out of school in the eighth grade. I mean, God's just been good to me, and that's exciting on multiple levels. One, we were able to give at a level last year that far exceeded what we made from the church just two years before, and that really blessed me. We were able to give the largest check I've ever written in our Kingdom Come campaign. Uh, last December. Biggest check I've ever written in my life by far. We were able to give it to the church. We didn't give it all away. Uh, we take Now remember, he didn't have time to actually do the text justice and preach the gospel from it. He said that. But he's plenty of time to talk about himself. Some vacations. Uh, my wife drives a nice car. I was able to buy a car for her. I was really happy about that. Uh, a big car, an SUV, so if she gets in a wreck, she'll win. I love the environment, but I love my babies even more. I want them to be safe. And so God has really been good to me. That puts some of you off, but I just I want to admit to you that the Lord has really blessed me, and uh, I'm not ashamed of it. And uh, there have been times in our life as a married couple where we've had to make tremendous financial sacrifices, and we've had times in our life, I remember when we were first married and I was a traveling preacher where... We wouldn't know how much money we would have for that week until I saw how much they were going to pay me at the speaking engagement. And there were times when I had to 
follow the church treasurer back to her office because she didn't have the check ready, but I needed to buy groceries. And I don't mean to make it sound like it was ever a bad deal. In fact, we were talking just the other day about how we don't remember a time in our life where we ever haven't been able to pay our bills. We don't remember a time in our life where we've ever had to go without. We didn't start our marriage with a big inheritance. We started at zero. We got about $2,000 in wedding money that Holly wouldn't let me spend on bills. She said that was her money. She went to Target with that money. And meanwhile, I'm trying to buy some beans and rice to keep us fed in the first year of our marriage. But as I was thinking about our life, plenty of time to preach about himself. Wow. And how God has blessed us. And you know, you have this image here of the mountain that's called the Lord will provide. And as I do this now, allegorizing the text, mountaintop experience for me of releasing the book to you today and releasing it Tuesday and just glorifying God for all that he's done and how he's blessed us and how he's met our needs and even given us more than enough. I just was kind of charting out some of the different blessings that God has poured out in our lives. And as I thought about it, it looked something like this. Let me draw it for you. It'll be really simplistic, but I, I think it'll help you kind of chart. So he's going to draw now uh, the course of your own life as well. It looks something like this. Here's how... Here's how it goes. Basically, a wavy line with the way the line's getting and taller and taller. So there's mountains and there's valleys, and so it ascends up, you know? On to it's, it, think of it as like what you would want your stock portfolio to look like. Infinity. God has blessed us with many pinnacles of provision. In fact, I call it the... So now it's pinnacles of provision. The provision apparently God is supposed to be giving you is not the forgiveness of your sins by the crucified and risen Savior who died on that mountain for you, literally. No, 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 we're just talking about money. Peak of provision, you know? But as I was looking back over my life and studying the story of Abraham and thinking about how before Abraham could be the father of many nations, before Abraham could have descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky... He had to go on a three-day journey and offer up his son on a mountain, how he had to go through the dark valley with his son, the most precious thing that anyone could ever own. And God tested his faith in the valley of sacrifice. I started thinking about how... Uh, wasn't his faith tested on the Mount of Moriah? The, literally, you know, historically. here He wasn't in the valley. It was actually on the mountain. Between every peak of provision, there's a valley of decision. I started thinking about how in our... Really, the text doesn't say anything about the valley of decision. ...lives, there, there are mountains where we'll look and say, God provided in that situation. I didn't know how he was going to come through, but he came through. I didn't know how we were going to make ends meet, but just in time, God gave us what we needed. Had no idea how we were going to get through this struggle, but God just keeps showing up. And look, if you're here today, I know it might be tight, and I know it might be tough, but you've got clothes on your body, and you've got food in your belly, and God has provided for you. He's kept you alive, and as you look at the peaks of provision in your life, it's easy to forget about the valleys of decision that got you to the peak of provision. 
And so every time a major milestone comes up in my life, you know, release a book, launch a campus. See, yeah, talk about yourself some more, please. See a bunch of people saved in church. See God bless me financially. Get the opportunity to speak at a conference. Get the opportunity to uh, stand uh, over by the Mudcats dugout where my five-year-old plays t-ball and watch him uh, hit the ball off the tee and, 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 and run as fast as he can to first base. And I get there before they throw him out. Every time I see one of God's blessings in my my life. I try to take note of it and I try to celebrate it. But what I did this week is a little bit different. Instead of looking at the peaks of provision where God has blessed my life, and there are, there are many, I started looking back over some of the valleys of decision that got us there. Mm, so it wasn't God who got you there. It was your decision. Uh-huh. Boy, you know, talk about missing the entire point of the text. Now, I'm not going to play the rest of the sermon. I'm just going to play like one of the major punchlines from this particular sermon. Because now we've allegorized it, you know, the valley of decision and the, and the mountain blessing and uh, provision and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he clearly identified the fact that the gospel, it can be, you know, preached from this text, but he said he didn't have any time. So he's talking about himself. He's allegorizing the text now. He's not going to preach Christ. Instead, he, this is actually going to turn into a manipulative appeal for money. Watch this. And see, all of us want these mountaintop experiences with God. Lord, I want to see you come through. I want to be like Joshua. I want to see the sun stand still. I want to be like Abraham. I want to go where no one's ever gone before. But, but great men and women of God are not made on the mountain of provision. Anybody can trust him on the mountain of provision. It's the people who will trust him in the valley that are found faithful in the valley, that are found faithful in the recession that God can raise up. To another level and i don't know if you like so are you faithful in the valley of decision because if so then god can raise you up mm -hmm. this message today but yeah in other words you're earning god's blessing you sure do need it because some of you are in a valley right now and the only hope you have is to look to a god who will provide as long as you make the right decision then he'll provide how can you know if you're trusting god in the valley God said to Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Yeah, but that was on the mountain. He didn't say that in the valley. That was actually on Mount Moriah. So your metaphor doesn't even work. Because you have not withheld your son from me. So, yeah. So open up your wallet and don't withhold from God money. That's where this is going. Watch this. How do you know if you're trusting God in the valley? Are you withholding from God something that you love more than him? Because when you trust him, you give it back. Mm. Now he's got the uh, he's got the the little over overbite thing going on. Actually, it's an underbite. He's got one lip over the other. Oh, okay. Yeah, you don't want to withhold from God because that's proof so that you can make in the valley decision that God will provide. You know what happened to some of you who are very very rich by this world standards when things started going crazy in the mortgage industry? You decreased your giving and you started playing it safe. And you write it off and you're like, well, that's just wisdom. No, that's just a lack of faith. You don't trust him. And if you don't trust him in the valley, he can't raise you up and use you on the mountain. Oh, so if you don't trust him yeah, in the valley, then God can't raise you up and use you on the mountain. 
so there you go. I mean, yeah. Are you? Did you cut back on your giving to Stephen Furtick's church? How dare you? I mean, God can't use you on the mountain because in the Valley of Decision, you biffed it. You got to up your giving if you want to really take your faith to the next level, apparently. Wow. So, yeah, I don't know um, what any of that has to do with Genesis 22. The answer is it doesn't have anything to do with Genesis 22. In that sermon, he didn't preach Genesis 22, nor did he preach Jesus. He preached that you got to make the right decisions, otherwise God can't use you on the mountain. If God, you know, and that means, you know, hey, you those of you with a lot of money, you had better be forking it over even in the bad times, because if you're not, that's lack of faith. And if you don't fork it over in the bad times, that shows that you can't be, uh, God can't provide for you on the mountain of provision. Um, so if God's going to provide, not me, um, what does he need my decision for? You understand what I'm saying? None of this makes any sense. This is a form of works righteousness and a monetized version of the Galatian heresy. This is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Genesis 22 teaches. In fact, it's completely contrary to what the gospel teaches itself. Stephen Furtick, once again, proving that there is no text that he will not make about himself, even ones clearly about Jesus. And that's why I consider him to be one of the most dangerous men in this in the visible church today. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, my email address talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. We get back a sermon review from Brian Houston of Hillsong. That's, by the way, where uh, Stephen Furtick is right now, getting ready to preach there. Yeah, Heresy Fest 2012. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. From the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lax comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater of the Budgie Cuts. Part 2. We here at Pirate Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. <coughs> You'll laugh. <laughs> You'll scream. <coughs> and you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. Just stick to the script, please. So sorry, um... Buy it now while stocks last. They download it. There is no supply which to run out. Oh, so you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now? If they want to, yes. Oh. Well, the heck with this commercial. I'm off to buy it right now. Get back in here. We're not done yet. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater, The Budget Cuts Part 2. Disapproved of by heretics everywhere. Get it before they do. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're well into it. Sermon review time. We're going to go down under to Australia. And listen to a recent sermon released by Brian Houston. 
of Hillsong, who is a noted Word of Faith heretic and prosperity preacher. And uh, I don't think it's a, um, well, a coincidence that Stephen Furtick hangs out with Brian Houston. Just saying, you know, and people like Phil Pringle and Kong Hee. Here we go. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's um, prosperity message <laughs> comes to us via Hillsong in uh, Sydney, Australia. Uh, Brian Houston presiding. Uh, the name of the prosperity masleration is entitled Lack versus Overflow. And uh, I think we begin in that uh, wonderful psalm where, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Everyone has this read at funerals and stuff like that. But did you know it was actually teaching that God wants to give you money? Apparently, uh, I had no idea, but we're going to find out how this is the case. And uh, again, it's significant to note that Stephen Furtick is, uh, well, tonight, teaching at Hillsong's conference. And I think it's perfectly clear where Stephen Furtick is now. He is a word of faith, light, prosperity preacher. He is hanging out with people who are just of his ilk. Joyce Meyer, Brian Houston, you know, folks like that. I mean, is it any coincidence that he was with Phil Pringle and Kong Hee earlier this year? Why he was shilling for money from Genesis 22? No. See, that's kind of what these guys are all about. Twisting God's word, scratching ear, uh, tickling ears, and, uh, well, not preaching Christ. No, 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 no. Preaching about prosperity. You can be just like him. If you make the right decisions in the valley of decision, then on the mountain of uh, provision, God will provide for you. Big time. Just like he did for... Yeah, anyway. <clears throat> so, uh, let's kill the music. Without any further ado, here is Brian Houston and uh, his... The sermon entitled Lack versus Overflow. Here we go. You know, Psalm 30, verse 5 says, God's anger is for a moment, but his favor is for life. It says, Weeping may enjoy for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Favor is for a life. A lot of people think of God in terms of. The great majority of God's attitude to people being anger and every now and then a little glimpse, a little breakthrough of a favor. But in actual fact, this psalm says exactly the opposite. It says God's anger is for a moment, but his favor is for life. It's the will of God for your life to be blessed by the favor of God. Of that I have no doubt because our lives are not just about us. Our lives are about the purpose of God. Our lives are about those things that God is wanting to do in us and through us in Jesus' name. So if you come into church tonight with this mindset, this concept, this kind of religious thinking that God is mad and angry with you and waiting to pounce and judge you and every now and then because you were... So if you come to church with the idea that God is wrathful, that he's going to judge the living and the dead, 
Oh, you've missed the whole point. No, 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 no. Put all that wrath stuff away. God wants to tell all he wants to do is bless your socks off. And all you got to do is be obedient and you'll. Yeah. <clears throat> Good for long enough. Hey, you got a little glimpse of God's favor. You need to turn that upside down and realize that through Jesus Christ, God's anger is for a moment, but his favor is for life. And it's the will of God to set your life up with his favor so you can fulfill the promise of God in your life. Uh, see, God just wants to bless you with all kinds of favor so that you can accomplish his purposes. See, this is a kinder, gentler gospel than the biblical gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And in your home and in your marriage, in the name of Jesus Christ. Psalm 23, the psalmist David declares with faith that the Lord is his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a determined shall not. I shall not want, he says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I love that. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you just think that's only referring to money. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Favor is for life. I will dwell. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I mean, why should we be, you know, reading this psalm at funerals and stuff? This is all about God wanting you to have favor and prosperity and wealth and influence and affluence and you can be at the top of the ponzi scheme just like brian houston is well in the house of the lord forever listen one more time i shall not want my cup overflows i shall not want i shall overflow what do you believe is god's will for your life Want or overflow? What do you believe is the most spiritual way to live your life with an expectation of favor and blessing and overflow or for a contentment with lack? Because many people glorify... This is a false dichotomy. False dichotomy. And it's based upon a misreading of Psalm 23. And by the way, the way you know he's twisting Psalm 23 is that when you read Psalm 23, it doesn't actually say anything or set up the dichotomy between lack or provision or, any, or abundance or anything like that. Let me read it to you again. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
Now that doesn't sound like, you know, the, the an amazing situation. Quite the contrary, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff; those are disciplining tools, if you would, of the uh, shepherd. They comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy are not the same things as, well, money and provision and things like that. Another clear uh, rule here when you're looking at the scriptures is you always look at clear passages that address a topic and they govern rather than unclear. So here's the idea. Um, we're going to t- we're going to basically say he's not rightly even setting up the biblical categories. Let me give you a passage that talks directly to the issue that Brian Houston is apparently trying to bring up. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. Paul, the Apostle Paul writing, says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you have no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am uh, that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance, and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Ah, okay. So you've learned in whatever situation to be content. So the Bible here doesn't set up a dichotomy and basically says God is only in this life, only going to give you plenty and lots and lots of monetary stuff. It doesn't say that. Because if that were the case, we would see that in the lives of the apostles. Instead... The Apostle Paul makes it clear that he has learned that in whatever situation that he is to be content. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He never, nowhere does the apostle say that it, hey, listen, it's completely contrary to God's word and what he wants for you, for you to have a situation in your life where you're in need, where you have a lack. Paul says that he's learned to be content even when he is facing hunger and need. See? So who are you going to trust? The apostle Paul in scripture? Or Brian Houston, who's clearly at this point twisting God's word and making it say something that it doesn't say. We continue. If I lack and spiritualize it and make a doctrine out of it, but to me the great theme of God's word is that God wants to bless you with his grace and with his favor and with overflow, and I believe you should have the kind of raw courage that David had even as he walks near the shadow of the valley of death, which is one that says, I shall not want. He sounds pretty determined about that. Mm, That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about money. I shall not want. There may be a GFC. There may be things working against me. These may be dark, dim, dull days. There may be every reason why I should want, but I shall not want. He says, my cup runs over. Do you know to want? To want. It literally means to diminish, to decrease, to deplete. 
Oh, literally, it means to be in lack. To overflow means to replenish. Oh, it sounds like such a biblical sermon since he's taking the time to define lack and overflow. To saturate, to drench. That's the spirit of overflow. Literally, to enrich, to make abundant. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, Christ will strengthen you even when you're in a time of need and hunger. Mm -hmm. I just got it in my heart that this year people should believe for a spirit of overflow in your life. Overflow goes beyond just even being filled up. Overflow is to saturate, to drench. It is a powerful thought. It is to live in abundance. And the tragedy to me is that you can glorify lack as much as you like, but so many people are bound by a lack of ideas, a lack of vision, a lack of creativity, a lack of real belief in what God can do. Perhaps a lack of wisdom, a lack of understanding, a lack of judgment. You can live your life feeling like you have a lack of opportunity. You can live your life in lack with money. You can live your life in lack with resource. But don't ever think that there's something God glorifying about lack because all it's ever doing is inhibiting you from what God actually has called you to do. Your hands are bound because of lack. Wow. So people want to inhibit you, huh? It means to diminish a positive. So in other words, if every young person can have a great education and you see that as a positive, a lack of education is the diminishing of that positive or the diminishing of an opportunity. Proverbs 13, 23, one of the scriptures that I've talked about many times over the years because it says there is much food. There is much food in the fallow ground of the poor. Literally, the uncultivated ground of the poor. But through lack of justice, there is waste. Through lack of opportunity or lack of justice, and you can visit... No, 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 no. Justice and opportunity are two different things. Listen to this. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but is swept away through injustice. This is talking about, well theft, bad government, things like that, evil rulers, injustice. It's not saying lack of opportunity. Oh, man. Countries around the world, we just did in South America, and you can in Africa and other places where the soil is so fertile. And there is so much food or so much potential that stays in the uncultivated ground of the poor because of lack of opportunity. And that's the thing about lack. It is a depleting or a diminishing of an opportunity. Now, what on earth does real poor people in real third world nations have to do with this sermon? And so many people 
had get this contentment about lack and almost this pseudo spirituality about lack. Mm, the Apostle Paul said that he was content even in hunger and need because he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, including get through that. So you're taking a swipe at the Apostle Paul. You know better than him. As though that's the way to serve God. And sadly, many people, because they don't have that, I shall not want, I shall overflow, my cup runs over mindset. They settle for something less than God's intention. And by settling for something less than God's intention, then they... So apparently, I mean, there it is. I mean, you basically take Psalm 23 and turn it into a word of faith mantra that you just keep blurting out and then God has to bless you because you believe that you God wants to give you abundance live inhibited the opportunity the potential the capacity to do something beyond yourself to actually make a difference we can have all the compassion that we want we can have all of the vision that we like we can have all of the all of the you know dream that, that you can muster but if it's just held back by lack and you have a faith or a belief that somehow believes that lack is God's will for you then all you're going to do is sit there stifled and frustrated about a God-given vision. So why don't we believe Hillsong Church 2012 for a spirit of overflow? I shall not want my cup overflows. My wow. The, you know, I, a particular passage of Scripture comes to mind, and uh, that is actually, uh, well, 2 Timothy. Um, I would say 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, in the last days there will come difficult times. People will be lovers of self, <clears throat> uh, Stephen Furtick, uh, lovers of money, mm, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, um, Brian Houston, and all the other um, Word of Faith folks, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Yeah, I think uh, the Apostle Paul was prophesying about men like Stephen Furtick and Brian Houston and other Word of Faith heretics. We continue. My cup runs over. I'm believing to hear running over type testimonies all this year through of people whose cup is overflowing. One time we looked in that cup and it was like Mother Hubbard's cupboard. It may have been bare, but let's believe that your cup is going to overflow in Jesus' name. And you're going to be telling such stories of the blessing of God because we are not going to make it about ourselves. We're going to make it about what God has called. Uh, actually, that's just double talk. This is nothing but about your Yourself. Told us to do. Oh, in your bank account. In Jesus' name. So never ever accept the spiritualizing or, you know, of lack when it is simply holding back people's opportunity to do what God has called them to do in Jesus' name. You know. Yeah, apparently this makes it Christian because all he has to do is tell you something false. Scratch your itching ears, tell you something, oh, God wants you to have all kinds of money, and then it becomes Christian because he goes, in Jesus' name. Wow, that's amazing. Overflow is such a theme in God's Word. Such a theme in God's Word. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, 
It says, and God is able. God is able, what, to make all grace abound towards you that you always have in all sufficiency in all things. May have an abundance for every good work. Whoa, got to be careful here. That is a subtle twist. Yeah, let me show it to you from a good translation so that you can kind of see what's going on here. He just said, an abundance for every good work. That's not exactly what the text says. It's a subtle twist, but watch what it says. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, notice sufficiency, not abundance, having all sufficiency in all at all in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That you may abound in every good good work. And, and that's what basically the Greek says itself, too. Um, uh, Exon tes uh, perisou ete es, es pan ergon uh, aga, aga, agathon. There we go. Yeah, so the, the, the Greek does definitely say this, so that you may abound into every good work. It doesn't say abundance for, but abound in every good work. This is There's a big difference here. And uh, that ice, uh, that ice pond, Aragon Agathon, is way different than what he's saying here. It's a subtle twist, and you'd miss it if you. I mean, that that one's so quick that you would blink. If you blink, you miss it. Uh, but I think what he's basically trying to say here is, oh, the reason why God wants to give you an abundance is so that you can, you know, so that you can provide you with the provision for all the good works and purpose that He has for you. But that's not what the text says it's that you are ha- you have sufficiency for it so that you can abound in good works it's not an abundance for good works wow that was a subtle twist and god is able to make all grace all favor abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. And that's the whole thing about abundance. There's a for, or there's a because, there's a reason. No, that's not what the Greek text says. It's abound into. Not abundance for, but abound in good works. Seriously, the conjunction is the thing that makes it or breaks it here. To it. That's because there's a good work that God has called you to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, talks about what God is able to do. But in fact, the Scripture is filled with what God is able to do. We sing, our God is able. Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says, And God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever... Notice every passage ripped out of context to strung together like pearls to, to weave together this theology. This is not based upon any text in context, and even what he did with uh, Psalm 23 is an abuse of the text. Isogeting into it, you basically monetary provision. Ask or think, and they're all Bible words. When it talks about exceeding, going beyond, it's a Bible word. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 talks about his exceeding great promises. Exceeding. 
Do you have that kind of heart towards God? That He doesn't want to just live up to your faith, live up to your dream. He wants to take you exceedingly, abundantly above what you could ever ask or think. Yeah, again, that's talking about stuff in the eschaton. Oh, man, this is... This is just one litany of prosperity heresy. Wow. Man, you know, let's not even have that, 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 that hope that one day God will answer our prayers. Let's ha- cancel all that stuff and start living with an expectation of a God who is able to do X. Yeah, live with an expectation. There's no humble, no fear of God, you know, no petitions. It's, oh, I expect God to deliver on this. His great, exceeding and great and precious promises the Word talks about. Have we got that scripture that talks about the promise of God? Listen to it. It's 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It says, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. I just feel them. Yeah, you can read part of a sentence. By the way, verse 4 begins with the word by which, which tells you that there's a bigger context going on here. Don't you think you might want to take a look at the bigger context? Yeah, always you need to, when somebody's taking verses out of context, pause, put them back in context, even if it's me, especially if it's me. 2 Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the great promises have nothing to do with wealth or abundance there. Um, hi yay yay my heart to lift people's spirits and lift people's faith and lift your expectation of God because I want to encourage you to be thinking of God in terms of exceedingly great and precious promise. You know, we're just standing on the promises of God, our King, the eternal ages, let the ring. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Well, if we start thinking, by the way, I reckon someone ought to start singing in 
the new song about the promise of God. Because the promise of God is something, yes, you can stand on it. Because it's exceeding, it is great, and it is precious. And that's the spirit of overflow. That's the spirit of God toward our lives in Jesus' name. Exceeding, abundant, abundant, abundant. It's life abundant that the Word talks about. Above. You're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. Friends, this might just sound like good old pump you up type faith type preaching. And I hope it is because my spirit. Yeah, no, it's just flat out heresy. Spirit is all about wanting to pump people up in Jesus' name and get you believing in the exceed. False Jesus, false gospel, twisting of God's word. None of this is true. This is not the gospel. Exceedingly great, precious promises of God. You know, it is so easy to have an ordinary sort of faith where we just hang back and we go to church and we know God does good stuff and we get blessed by other people's testimonies, but it's time to step up and start believing God. For He's, oh, here's someone I know, that we can start believing God. For His. Come on, stand up, Jay. Stand up. Stand up. All right. All right. Now I'm your pastor. I'm a man of God. Hit me. No, he's not a man of God. Ah, uh, come on, Jay. Uh, oh. See, I didn't hurt him. I know I didn't hurt him. He's made. He's like a rock. He's unbelievable. If I hurt anything, it's my wrist. That's all. It's a constant theme of the scripture. That whole idea of God's abundance, God's overflow. And the reason that people, in fact, sorry, the reason that people, uh, you know, get nervous about it is because they think through eyes of selfishness. And they presume immediately we're talking greed. They presume we're thinking about self and ourselves and, you know, laying up treasures on earth, forgetting that what we're all about is laying up treasures in heaven and seeing the will of God on earth fulfilled. All about the eternal purpose of God in heaven, in Jesus' name. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to believe God. Have a Notice this is all double talk. So if you're challenging him and what he's saying it's because well you're just greedy and yet he's the one who's flat out greedy raw faith that you will have the wisdom that will find life and obtain favor because he who finds wisdom obtains the favor of the Lord in Jesus' name. Praise God. You know, the spirit of overflow and abundance, it really... Spirit of overflow and abundance. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many times you say it. It's still not a biblical teaching the way you're teaching it. It really is just a great, great example of God's supernatural ability. What God is able to do. You never underestimate what God is able to do. Yeah. I understand God is omnipotent. So, yeah, he's able to do a lot of things. He spoke the entire universe into existence in six days. God is capable of some pretty amazing things. No problem with that whatsoever. It's just just because he's able to do something doesn't mean that it's his will to do so. You seem to think that God is going to be impressed by your ability to believe he's capable of big things. You're supposed to be preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name because that's the big promise we're all to be hanging on to and proclaiming. Sometimes you can look back on life at a miracle and you think, wow, where did that come from? Because it's just exceeding and abundant and above what you could ever 
have asked or thought. I'd never been to Israel. Bobby had never been to Israel. And a few years ago, some of you would know that one time we got this formal invitation from the government of Israel to come to Israel. And not only a formal invitation, but airfares and good airfares, by the way, on Al Al Airlines. And we got there and we didn't have to even go through the security. We're talking Israel. We're taken through the special diplomatic type uh, queue and we're putting in a nice car, taken through and put in the City of David Hotel right in the middle of the city where we looked out over the Mount of Olives, which is so significant for believers. And it's like, what are we doing here? And then we spent time with a few other believers that were brought in and keep people from around the world. But what I found out after a while was that every other person that was there had been to Israel 60 or 70 times and had brought all of these people into Israel and had some kind of engagement and connection with Israel. But Bobby and I had never been to Israel in our lives. Matter of fact, I've never been since either. And the next day we find ourselves going through security into the Knesset, into the... I don't know, I have no idea what this has to do with the Bible. I mean. the, uh, the parliament, the Israel parliament, into the cabinet room where we sat with Ariel Sharon, who was then the president, prime minister, president of Israel, with Ehud, who was the next guy, the next president right beside him. And we talked about all sorts of things. And Sharon talked to Bobby and I about Australia and about how Australia had stood by Israel and about the light horsemen and about some of Australia's war history. And it's like, what are we doing here? And the next day, what are you preaching this for? Day we went out to the Sea of Galilee where we met who was now the current Prime Minister Netanyahu and we were sitting and conversing with him and having a cup of coffee and then he takes us and shows us a dock and it's the weirdest thing. We're out there on a pier in the Sea of Galilee and a little rowboat full of American tourists with yellow caps on go by singing, shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing. True story. (laughs) And it's like, what are we doing here? And it went on like that for two days or so. And after two days, we went back to the airport and were both taken through, avoided security again, helped onto the aeroplane, got on the aeroplane. And to this day, I don't even quite know what it was about. Then why are you preaching about it? But our God is able to do exceeding, abundant... (sighs) and above everything you could ever ask or think. Because that's the God we love and serve in Jesus' name. All right, so there's... there. Thank, thank God it was short. But uh, for as short of as, as it was, tightly packed with really bad, narcissistic, money-grubbing completely wrong theology, the prosperity heresy. And uh, who's uh, Stephen Furtick hanging out with today? Oh, yeah, that's right, Brian Houston. He's uh, teaching at Hillsong. Yeah, it's pretty clear that uh, Stephen Furtick has cast his lot with these guys. And uh, they aren't teaching the truth. Even when the biblical text is about Jesus, they don't preach Jesus. Strange, huh? And yet they tell everybody it's all about them wanting people to meet Jesus. How can they meet him if you don't preach him? It's a fair question to ask.
All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me, my friend, on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> 